this side of Texas, history has its place. On the other side of Texas, justice rules the case. They don't like it, they don't love it. They say we're all wrong, but on the other side of Texas halls, we roll along. And we do roll along. Thanks for rolling along with us here. Other side of Texas, the most listened to platform in the region in dare i say beyond i don't know in the region for sure thank you for listening whether it's live or on the podcast you can always go check out the podcast just just search wherever you use to search other side of texas podcast and any platform it's there and it's available it's one of the top trending at least in the top 50 uh trending podcast for u.s news and politics appreciate you there's a reason why folks listen along and it's because we talk about issues that matter to you i'm your host jay west texas leeson broadcasting from the racer car wash studios racer car wash voted lubbock's best wash for five years running did you see the car wash lines this weekend i couldn't even get in goodness gracious the tundra needs to be even though grace worst of the weekend we're gonna do best and worst worst of the weekend is this grace's bicycle grace is 11 so she's got a big girl bicycle comes out of the back gate she's wobbly need because i've been needing to fix this bike for a long time being all-american dad i finally found a weekend i'm like 20 weekends late fix her bike get it all ready to go she comes wobbly neat out of the back gate and goes down the side of the truck i might as well gotten keyed by my crazy ex glenn close almost girlfriend down the side of my pickup and that hurt it was almost like a Native American who heard trees being cut down and just knew from a long distance away that something is wrong. That's the relationship I have with my truck. And uh, that's why I take it to race car wash, jump in that VIP line. And uh, it was a little bit long. Did a lot of business. It had to be a record-breaking weekend for a racer car wash. Five car washes around the city voted lubbock's best wash around five years running best wash around guaranteed racerwash.com this monday edition hey i'm feeling good so let's just have a lot of fun today shall we uh gonna do my best of the weekend already gotten into my worst and how that tore my heart and uh quorum report scott braddock coming up in about 10 minutes from now as you listen live on the radio a little bit less if you're listening to podcasts where we carve out the commercials and then want to give you the latest vet school scoop plus trump gives a second round of payments to ag producers who've been affected by tariffs and by trade uh, lots of hullabaloo out there about that but here's where i want to begin with you today as we rave on i want to talk about and just forgive me because i'm still in the frame of mo- mind from church yesterday morning and just collecting my thoughts over the weekend a big debut re-debut in the lubbock avalanche journal played up in the amarillo globe lots of emails appreciate folks who read who listen um and lots of uh emails that were caustic as well and here's the thing with me is that i get them from both sides i get them from the far left and the far right at least people who think that they're conservative but don't understand that they're selling their place out because lots of times if you really think about i want you to think about the most conservative people that you know the most outspoken like the people on facebook where you just sit there and you get red face and you think man i would have never put something up like that i would have never said that i just here's my operating theory lots of times they're not from here 
they're not from these parts. And I don't say that to be a regionalist as much as I mean to say these are people that are used to putting their cause over their place. And that's where a lot of folks who call themselves conservatives find very fertile ground is with folks like that. And for me to be sent texts and emails and being told that, you know, that I'm a liar and that everything I say is deceptive, I just look at the people who say that and guess what I find? I was raised in Hell County. And I go on on this program and speak pretty independently from a person who's from this place, a proud person from this place, who brought my children to be raised in this place for a reason. And I, uh, yeah, people even texting in now calling me a liar. Uh, Listen, you can domesticate a lot of things. You can bring a lot of pets into your house, and you can domesticate them. But if you remember in junior high youth group, whenever you looked up at the picture of Jesus with the golden shine around him, the long Caucasian uh, European, at least at least continental European suave wavy hair as though he brushed his hair for some 20 or 30 minutes before the portrait was taken looks very very much Caucasian we've all seen that picture I know that you've seen the picture all in brown tones you may be able to domesticate a dog but you cannot domesticate God so excuse me as I get off on a gospel power hour here for just a moment um i'm a student of i've got a master's degree in theology i understand i've read the text i've read the hebrew i've read the greek and there's always a great problem the great contribution of the hebrews coming out of out of egypt was that they were monotheistic which was groundbreaking at that time they didn't believe in multiple gods they believed in a god a god who came from without to within to make people and invite people to become one with him rather than one with them my charlie at church on sunday i'm holding him i I bring the kids in the older i get the more i appreciate um the more i appreciate the creeds and not because i'm in for trying to bore my kids to death but these are things that people have said as affirmations of their faith for centuries millennia and i bring them in close when we read the creeds we stand up and we read the creeds and i look up and i'm holding charlie with my right arm i look up as we're halfway through the creed and little charlie who just turned five has his hand over his heart with his right hand his left hand is a guns up over his head and um charlie is uh uh, reading trying to say what i've just said because he can't read obviously and it just struck me that here's charlie five trying to figure out all observing traditions and there are people who are much older than five that cannot get over trying to co-opt conflate domesticate their god into their own political policy and listen there are plenty of theological underpinnings in the show but there has to be if my house ever burned down i would take out nature and destiny of man by reinhold niebuhr uh man's most vexing problem has always been himself that's the first line of those texts but it goes through delineates all the philosophies enlightenment and forward but reinhold niebuhr said there must be a realm of confidence uh, a realm of truth beyond political competence and i think part of that is to say what the hebrews said originally that he comes from without and you cannot co-opt him into make him into your political creed and let me let me just say 
stick on that matter for just a second. If, if the higher being, the Lord as we call him at the house, if the Lord is too much for the Hebrews to make like themselves, um, that to say a domesticated God that, you know, what Voltaire, the French Enlightenment figure, 16th century, or Mark Twain, this has been attributed to many people. Um, God created man in his own image, and then man decided to return the favor. It is dangerous when man does return the favor. And what I find, and this really frightens me, is that people on the right who take the most exception to me or to any sort of independent thought try to liken in God into their way of thinking. And that is going to end in a hostility that they think is divinely imbued and backed. And I find that to be the case a lot in Lubbock, and especially northeast of Lubbock. Um, And not in northeast Lubbock proper, but northeast of Lubbock. I'm not going to give you the dignity of having your name read on the radio, but there are people who look in the mirror and say, well, God, you look pretty good today. And that's a failed theology, and that's a failed political philosophy. Mark my words. We're going to rave on. Get Scott Braddock on the show coming up. Stick right where you are. It's just going to get better from here. Right here on AM 580. Roll on with us on the other side. Miles of Texas. All the stars up in the sky. I saw miles and miles of Texas. Gonna live here till I die. The next guy up. Uh, I don't think needs any sort of introduction, but we'll give it anyway. He is Scott Braddock with the Quorum Report, quorumreport.com. Scott Braddock, how are you doing, buddy? Doing well, sir. I'm ready for Christmas. The question is, are you? I am very shopping ready. Shopping done? Shopping done? Uh, no. Decorations are up? You've got the, the lights are up, everything? You don't have the shopping done? No. How are you ready if you don't have any of that done? Because. I, see, here's the, here's the issue, Jay Leeson. Okay, I'm going to take I'm a you journal- through the listen, issue, too. Listen, I, I'm a journalist, and a journalist asks. That's the deal. It, when, when I ask the question, I'm serious. Okay, so... And so the answer was no. You're not ready in okay. any way, shape, or form. I've been married <laughs> almost longer than I've been alive at this point. Yeah, and so there comes this conversation every season. <laughs> We've got all the shopping done. You aren't going to do more, are you? <laughs> to which then, I say, no. And she looks at me and says, are you sure? To which I say, no. And, and she and says, what the, else is out there? And I said, I don't know. Whatever whatever can be delivered by Christmas. And yeah. to your point, um, the boys and I were watching NFL football yesterday. And Fox mm-hmm. was previewing, I guess there's some big MMA fight or boxing yeah. battle between yeah. twins. And whenever you sit there and you watch that with nine-year-old boys, Scott Braddock, you say, hey, um, look, these brothers are fighting each other. Would you guys like to fight each other? (laughs) To which they look at each other with grins and look at me and say, yeah. So we do have two pairs of boxing gloves that should arrive at the house in the next couple of days. So no, no, Scott Braddock, I'm not ready. Well, and that's okay. I was just looking for an honesty. It's very refreshing to get one. So you got me backtracking there. I went from yes to no. Are <laughs> you, you happy to, now? You say, back up, Jay Leeson. Give me the real answer. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, fr- Scott friends, Braddock, friends, gotcha. Friends engage in real talk. Yeah. Well, this has been real talk so far. Uh, so, Bragg, let's get into folks like to listen in and talk about mm-hmm. what what's going on down in the Beltway. Um yeah. Tell us, we're seeing a lot of hullabaloo right now. I continue to use the hullabaloo reference like because phrase. because we see where people listen to the show, where they stream from, and where like they listen that. to podcasts. And uh-huh. uh, I got to say, down in John Sharp's A and M, we got a pretty good audience. So I like That's to throw great. out a hullabaloo for them. Sure. Hashtag vet school. Hullabaloo, Canuck, Canuck. 
After a judge in Fort Worth struck down Obamacare, Governor Abbott says Texas will prioritize. What are they going to prioritize coming up in the next legislature? Well, this had a lot of people today asking a question. Uh, you know, we started out with a very honest question. Here's another one. Where has the governor and Republican leadership in this state been on the issue so far? Uh, so far, it's only been to, uh, you know, reject Medicaid expansion under the Affordable Care Act. Now, Governor Abbott says that Texas will work to pass its own health care law to mm-hmm. replace the Affordable Care Act if it is ultimately struck down. We should back up a second and say exactly what happened, as you mentioned. A judge in Fort Worth struck down the ACA in its entirety based on the idea that because Congress did away with the penalty for the individual mandate, that the rest of the law cannot stand. And if you go back and look at his reasoning on this, the judge was saying that uh, you know when the Supreme Court said that the bulk of Obamacare could stand, um, the justification was, and this was uh, Chief Justice John Roberts who made this argument, they had said, the Supremes had said, uh, that uh, the Affordable Care Act uh, it amounted to what? It amounted to a tax, uh, which the, uh, the Congress is allowed to do, or at least that part of the law was a tax. Uh, and so this judge is saying because that part is gone as part of the ca- tax cut to, you know, uh, package last year that none of the ACA stands. It's important to point out that this uh, ruling has no immediate practical effect because there was no injunction ordered. Uh, the law stands as it winds its way through the courts. This may take quite some time. I would imagine this to go all the way up to the United States Supreme Court once again uh, as this challenge uh, you know, unfolds. Our Attorney General, Ken Paxton, and other Republican attorneys general, other uh, Republican-led states, uh, saying that the Affordable Care Act should be struck down. Uh, Ken Paxton, on Friday when the ruling came down, he said the ultimate, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said the ultimate uh, goal of this uh, lawsuit is complete repeal of Obamacare. Uh, and if that ultimately happens, then Governor Abbott is saying that they're going to uh, try to get uh, waivers from the federal government to, and listen to this, to allow insurers to provide coverage at lower rates while ensuring that Texans with pre-existing conditions, this is a direct quote from Abbott, uh, while ensuring that Texans with pre-existing conditions continue to have access to quality health care, unquote. So in other words, Republican leadership, is in favor of the popular parts of the Affordable Care Act and against the unpopular parts. As you know uh, from growing up in the real world, the unpopular things are often what pay for the popular things. What in the world? How in the world are we? So, okay, we're going to do Harvey relief in this legislature. (laughs) We're going to do school finance. That's what we're told. Yes. And we're also going to put together a Texas insurance package. Well, it's not clear if this is going to happen in this legislature. Like how, many special, yeah. how many special well, who, sessions are we going to go into here? Who knows the answer? I mean, it, it could be, by the way, this still has to go, uh, we, you know, the, the court that uh, ruled on this in Fort Worth is just the trial court level. Then you have to go to the Fifth Circuit, uh, you know, appeals court in New Orleans, and then you'd have to go to the United States Supreme Court. And so all of that could take a year or more. You know, we, we, we still have a long road to go here. Uh, on this uh, on this case, so it's actually kind of easy for Abbott to say this now, um, you know, because right now, as we said here earlier in the segment, there is no practical effect from the ruling uh, that came down on Friday. The Affordable Care Act is still in effect as this winds its way through the courts. Um, but you're right. I mean, the things are starting to pile up in Austin and serious issues. One thing that uh, we didn't mention yet is property tax relief, uh, which is what uh, Dennis Bonin, the speaker in waiting, uh, has said that he's going to you know, make that his priority, along with Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, along with uh, Governor Abbott. They all seem to be on the same page about that. School funding, Harvey relief that you mentioned, all of that going to have a huge price tag. Um, as we mentioned on the show previously, you have about $12 billion or so is what's going to be in the rainy day fund or economic stabilization fund uh, when lawmakers gavel in in January. And uh, the uh, top uh, budget writers uh, have already set a floor, as they're required to do by state law. Uh, they have to set a minimum amount uh, for that uh, uh, rainy day fund, and they set it at about $7.5 billion, which means, Jay, they could be on track after years and years of it being conservative orthodoxy uh, to never spend almost any money from that rainy day fund. Now they could be on track to spend roughly half of it. 
all coming up in this legislature. Very possible, yes, sir. Holy cow. It's been half a date. And, and how long have you been keeping up with this? And I've been keeping up this, with this where top uh, conservative leaders have said that they should never, ever, ever spend any of that money. And now they're on track to spend roughly half. We'll, we'll watch how it unfolds. Maybe they won't spend that much, but that's what they're queuing it up for right now. Breaking news there with Scott Braddock. Uh, speaking of Abbott, let's go into... Okay, so tell us, give us the other side of the issue here. Folks would say, wait a minute, we're going to have lobbyists, we're going to have our municipalities and our counties mm-hmm. hire out lobbyists. Yeah. Um, and Abbott coming down against lobbyists. Uh, why do municipalities and counties have lobbyists? And what would be the governor's take against it? There's a variety of reasons that cities and counties would want to have representation at the Texas legislature when lawmakers are in session. And what does a lobbyist do? Let's just uh, start 101. Well, look, uh, the reason that somebody registers as a lobbyist is a transparency um, uh, device. It's it's, It's set up such that you will know who's representing who before the legislature. Uh, So if you have a lobbyist that's representing the city of Lubbock, for example, they have to register with the Texas Ethics Commission. It will say that there will be a public forum, and you can go on the TEC, the Ethics Commission's website, and you can search, you know, city of Lubbock and see which lobbyist may be uh, representing the city. And the or reason they do that is that you know, or, or for, for a vet school, or for Texas A&M, or for Texas Tech. Um, it, look, the um, the various uh, government entities uh, have various reasons why they would want to have representation. Um, you know, in this case, what Governor Abbott is arguing is that uh, the cities and counties do not want to have their revenue uh, streams capped. At uh, his proposal is 2.5 percent. Um, you know, in a budget year. And um, he's saying that te- that the counties and cities want to raise your taxes, and he wants to lower them. It's important to point out that he does not have a proposal yet to lower your property taxes. Neither does Governor uh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, or the Speaker for that matter, the incoming Speaker uh, uh, Representative Bonin. Um, and so the governor says that it's not right that uh, cities would hire a lobbyist to come down to Austin and fight with him about how much your property taxes ought to be. Um, but, look, I was talking with some folks who have represented uh, various government entities uh, over the years, talking to folks this weekend, and the vast majority said they have never been sent to Austin with the express purpose of trying to raise anybody's taxes. That's just not the truth. And, as I pointed out in a speech in Amarillo a couple of weeks ago, uh, there is no proposal from any leader in Austin to cut anybody's property taxes, and until there is, anyone who makes the claim that they are pushing to reduce your property taxes in Austin is simply being misleading. So this is a little bit of misdirection by the governor, and it's also worth noting that, uh, and by the way, this is pretty funny, uh, this was posted on social media over the weekend, especially interesting to note that the governor's office has a division that is staffed with taxpayer-funded lobbyists to represent Texas in Washington. The response to that from someone uh, online was, well, it's a good thing to have the various levels of government at odds with each other and to have each level of government have its, you know, has its own representation uh, so that they can duke it out. We're all probably better off and freer as a result. Yeah, but just not cities and counties. Well, that's what uh, the governor is arguing. Yeah, because, and I point out the vet school because, you know, there are interest groups in Amarillo who have... My understanding, we're going to get into this next segment, mm-hmm. but who have an interest group in Amarillo has, in, they can be interested in Amarillo because they are in Amarillo. They have their own lobbyists. The city has another lobbyist. Texas Tech, my understanding, has another lobbyist all in on this vet school thing because lobbyists have a way of making themselves heard. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have them around, then you aren't heard. And whenever you're dealing with the sort of maroon ties that Texas Tech is dealing with and the burnt orange ties that Texas Tech is dealing with, then you need to have, and that's just with a school, mm-hmm. you know, forget forget the city of Plainview or, or Olton or Floyd Ada, um, you, you need to have your interests heard by somebody who can be there full time. 
so maybe it's worth paying some commission and paying an apartment. Well, look, it, the fact is that the legislative process is not something that the average Joe or even uh, you know a city mayor um, or you know someone who's not interfacing with that process all the time, not something everybody's familiar with. Um, and so there are folks who are expert in the process, know what they're doing, know the players in the process, and it's just like anything else. You wouldn't go, you wouldn't have um, an issue that's important to you uh, that would be in a courtroom, for example, and not hire an attorney to guide you through that process. The reason that a person hires a lobbyist is because they're expert in dealing with the process at uh, and the players at the Capitol uh, and the way that it all uh, you know plays out uh, legislative session after legislative session. Um, if these are folks who are professionals. Um, and look, I think um, the fact that lobbyists get sort of a bad rap in mainstream media, in mainstream media, it's sort of a um, it's sort of a media creation that all lobbyists are bad or something. It would be like saying that all attorneys are bad, right? I mean, there's there's some good ones and there's some bad ones, and a lot of times there's uh, you know bad ones who kind of give the others a bad name. Uh, but uh, look, uh, it, it's just like any other profession. There's there's uh, you know folks who are super professional, just doing their jobs. Um, and uh, uh, my experience, that's the vast majority of uh, folks who are in the lobby. He runs quorumreport.com. I was delighted to see yesterday. I always get people who get your emails, who subscribe to your website, that say, hey, you made the Quorum Reports list every every day. You put out a couple of lists, at least, of uh, things that you need to read to be in the know there at quorumreport.com, and you put up my piece, um, Texas Turned Amarillo, Not Purple, um, and I lead that into this segue to say that that's my big story from 2018, that there was such a Democratic force that came into the state, and I don't align with that platform, and I have a hard time aligning with the Republican platform. Sure because I don't make God in my own image, but that's into the monologue. You don't need to comment on that. But uh, I, pretty independent is where I stand. But yeah. that's my big story in 2018 is that Texas said, who are who are the competent reps? Let's reelect them and let's elect them by big double-digit leads. If they are not, if they've not proven to be capable then we're going to get rid of them in the state legislature. What's your big story in 2018, Scott Braddock? Well, I think it's pretty straightforward. In 2014, you had the Republican slate uh, just destroy the the Democratic Party by 21 points. Uh, Governor Abbott, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, um, the comptroller, the ag commissioner, everybody who was running as a Republican just destroyed the Democrat who was running against them. This time around, not at all the case. Uh, you know, uh, you had a lot of the folks I just mentioned almost lose their races. At the top of the ticket, Beto O'Rourke comes within 2.53 points of uh, beating Ted Cruz. Uh, and, of course, you did have Democrats pick up seats, as you mentioned, uh, about 12 of them, uh, 12 of them, I should say, in the Texas House and two of them in the Texas Senate. Um, and so while the uh, Republican leadership two years ago at this time was talking about things like a convention of states to rewrite the United States Constitution, a bill to uh, you know tell people where they can go to the bathroom, a sanctuary cities ban in this state. And I put sanctuary cities, I'm doing air quotes, because we didn't have any sanctuary cities, and we still don't. And by the way, that bill did not uh, in any way uh, create a legal definition for a sanctuary city. Um, uh, those were the kind of things they were talking about leading into the last legislative session in 2017. This time around, they seem to be focused on more serious things, things that uh, folks actually care about, those things including your property tax bill and my property tax bill, um, and uh, school funding, school finance, um, and uh, Hurricane Harvey relief being the big three things. And, of course, they'll be talking about uh, many other things as well. But it seems to be more of the meat and potatoes sort of stuff instead of just the red meat only that we were seeing in 2017. My big takeaway is, and I think it's uh, sort of pretty close to in line with what you're talking about there, my takeaway is that when you allow for the state's leadership to take your vote for granted, give them a 21 point advantage over the uh, other team, then they're going to do whatever it is they want to do. And they sure did that, you know, for the last four years. When things are a little more dicey for them, and when it, you know, when the electoral landscape is sort of more like a line man, uh, you know, a landmine field politically, 
uh, they're going to be paying more attention to what the voters actually want them to do, and so that means we probably are going to see a very different session in 2019. The one word of warning I would add to that, of course, is that these uh, Republican uh, lawmakers and Democrats as well, uh, the next election they will stand for is not the next general election. It's their next primary. So you are going to see you know, some uh, of those red meat uh, issues in front of the legislature once again, and you'll see them have to take some tough votes on those things. We'll see how it plays out. Yeah, this is where I want to close with you, is that one, I only have so much column space whenever I write, but one thing that does intrigue me is that we will redistrict, the maps will be put forth in mm-hmm. 2021. Yes, sir. So maybe the the maps are antiquated by now. Maybe, you know, 10 years ago we didn't see that Tarrant County was going to be poured over with with Dallas residents, uh, Dallas suburbs, and the kind of growth that we've seen in the state. Uh, all that to say, Scott Braddock, that to me, I think my column, a fair criticism of my column, that Texas went with competent representatives over blue hearts is that these maps are beginning to be worn out and that we're going to draw these, redraw these in a couple of years mm-hmm. and we could be seeing the same uh, the same animosity that we see now four years from now mm-hmm. once the districts are once again shall I say gerrymandered and people feel like they're safe to say what they will and to push bathroom bills instead of school finance like we see going in to yeah. this legislature. Well, the uh, reality is that when the maps are drawn, when the state house and state senate uh, districts as well as the congressional districts are drawn by the legislature, they are drawn for partisan advantage at the beginning of a decade. Uh, your listeners know how this works. They do the census every 10 years. They'll do that in 2020. They count everybody. And the way that it used to work is that uh, the maps would be drawn uh, where the districts uh, basically encircled um, communities of interest. So a good example is Austin used to have its own congressman. There was just a district that uh, surrounded Austin, and Austin would send a congressman to Washington. Uh, But what eventually happened as politicians started to figure this out they realized that instead of the voters picking the politicians, the politicians could pick their voters. And so they started to draw these districts in such a way that they would be optimized for a partisan mm, advantage. There would be districts that were there were uh, districts that would be more Republican and districts that would be more solidly Democratic. Uh, but what happened over the last decade, and this is exacerbated because of the uh, huge, just explosive growth that we have seen in Texas over the last 10 years, with 1,200 people moving to the state roughly that many every single day, um, especially in places like Dallas-Fort Worth and the Houston area in Harris County. Um, When you look at the growth that has happened there, um, the districts are different. The neighborhoods are different. Uh, People move. People are born. People die. Uh, And so the way I describe that is the districts are degraded over the 10 years, and what I mean is the partisan advantage is degraded. Um, But what will happen in 2021 is lawmakers will look to shore that up. Now, because of the way some of these communities are growing, the way some of them are changing, it will be more difficult for those to be, especially in those places I mentioned, in DFW and Houston, it'll be much more difficult for the lawmakers to draw those in such a way that they uh, will only go Republican. So Democrats are probably going to pick up some seats in that redistricting. Here's the big question. In the election prior to the redistricting, how many seats can Democrats pick up in the next election in 2020, heading into the, um, the, the the redistricting cycle in 2021, uh, that will tell us a lot about how much leverage Democrats will have going into that process. And for the minority party, that's really the holy grail. And so I think one of the things that you might see happen in this legislative session is there will be proposals put forward by Republicans um, on issues like property taxes, for example, um, where the Democrats might just say, no and vote no on all of that stuff and say, look, uh, the Republicans are trying to push something that's not actually going to cut your taxes, and so we're a no on that. And then in the next election, they just, uh, you know, in in the 20 election, they run on the fact that they oppose that stuff. And by the way, nobody's property taxes went down and see if they can pick up more seats in the Texas House going into the 2021 uh, legislative session. Yeah, well, 
We know that uh, Scott Braddock is going to be following, as we get in the next legislature, um, Scott Braddock's going to be following the vet school. I know a lot of you are listening with new interest. It's crazy, Braddock, how much this conversation comes up. Uh, people who previously may not have even known how many seats there are in the Senate or in the House are greatly interested in Texas government now. We know that Scott Braddock will be on top of that. And I say that because I believe the next time that we'll have you on air, happy holidays, Merry Christmas to you and yours, Scott Braddock, is January 7. Mm-hmm. So we got Christmas Eve, New Year's Day, falling on Mondays, and then we'll have Braddock back on the 7th. Um, but I know that people will be interested more than ever to well, hear what that'll you have be, to say, buddy. To your point, that'll be Session Eve. The session starts on the 8th. Yep. And you and I, I'm going down there for some speaking gig the second week in January. Let's oh, go okay. get some of that uh, queso that's on fire. We'll get you some of that flaming queso, my friend. Yeah, there he goes. He is Scott Braddock. Appreciate Scott Braddock coming on each week here. Catch it on the podcast. You just tune in live on the radio. We'll talk to you in 2019, Braddock. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to everybody in West Texas. Thanks, sir. All right, buddy going to get off with Scott Braddock, get into a quick break and get back in. I want to talk to you about vet school, uh, some insider. Let's do some insider talk right here on the show. It's not going to cost you a dime. Maybe what you pay for it. We'll see. I think it's going to be good. Checked out where all these people are that did some background work for the next segment. Stick with us right here, Other Side of Texas. Listen, folks, the people that I talk about on this program, uh, the people that uh, during the commercials, whenever you listen live, uh, these folks are folks that I use, folks I first reached out to whenever we started the program, and uh, lots of them have stayed with us and stayed with good reason because people show up at places like Mullen, Horton, Brown and say, hey, or at Title One, or at Racer Car Wash or Lubbock Fall Room, say i listen to the show you guys are back in something that's um word i get back is innovative uh we appreciate this content being out there and it wouldn't be here without them so whenever you listen to the program you listen to commercials and you listen to the segments why don't you um go by and support the people who support this program we don't do it for free i got four little kids i can't do this for free got to be making money putting some money in their trust and their college funds and uh, appreciate you supporting them okay so some feedback on my monologue yeah it is dangerous it is dangerous Uh, this text in from john it's dangerous when people conflate their theology with their political ideology 100% 100% it is, and that's a bad place to be. I just, I think it, I think that whenever people, they can become sanctimonious, is my point, John, that they can become self-righteous in a way that their way of seeing things is divinely imbued, that, um, I mean, my whole ideal here is that a Savior comes without, to save people from themselves. And I, again, I don't want to get into the gospel power hour, but that that for me is the whole Advent message, is that grace is for God to do for you what you are unable to do for yourself, to wake up sweating one night or to realize something about your life and to turn directions there. That's called repentance. And that's called um, walking forward into Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as I genuflect here on the radio. And I know a lot of good Democrats who are also very good Christians. And that was mind-numbing to me whenever I was younger, that you could have Democrats who were, because, you know, you're throwing the pro-life thing, but you've seen the sort of caveats we've thrown at you on the program and i'm not an operative for either party 
you know, I was texting this weekend with both chairmen of the Lubbock County Party. One who called me a liar and one who says that uh, presupposes that this program is brought to you by outside interests. And neither one of those is true. I mean, I hope by now you know that I'm not a liar. But um, I, I really get been out of shape whenever people begin to make news that that God really is all the way for them and their if God could not be for a certain type and character of people then he couldn't be for a political platform and I think that there's room to breathe on both sides and I always say this and it comes to no greater point with me than the pro-life uh, quote pro-choice discussion a lot of people I know that are pro-choice are very staunchly pro after the womb a lot of people I know that are very pro-life are very anti-life after the womb and that for me is the greatest because I've we've been lucky in the Lisa and Ponderosa four kids no problems the only problem is that Charlie is the last kid he's the fourth child and so we just give up on what he's eating and what he's doing i've spanked too many bottoms i've had too many arguments with my kids my 11 year old daughter is going on 19 right now and i don't have time to moderate how many candy canes charlie's eaten so we take him to the dentist and now i gotta pay twenty five hundred dollars because that kid has eight or nine cavities he's got more cavities than he has teeth it's unbelievable to me but that we have not had any major health problem now we do have our battles i mean we've got some struggles that we do tutoring and we do remediation on we do we we have to we've got some learning disabilities in the house that we have to deal with but by and large we don't have a kid in a wheelchair with a g-tube and I'm not saying that was chosen by God or not. I don't want to get into that. That's beside the point. But for people who do, who decided to have that pregnancy and to carry out that pregnancy and can join twins, are you kidding me? I'm going to require by my own principles that they be born and then abdicate them to the circumstances. That, to quote Martin Luther King Jr., abdicate them to the tentacles of circumstances after they're born? No. No, I do wake up in the night, and things do bother me, and it would bother me if I took that point of view. A government that's strong enough to say that a child should be born is a government that should stand beside that child. And that's where I stand, and that's, golly, that's why we rave on. Vet school update coming up. Insider info. Stick right with us. Got to get to this last profitable break. With Stick with us right here. So I wanted to get in with a little bit of tech vet school action with you just to update you on where we are. Um, I've gone through, I've heard lots of rumors about tech. Uh, there's a thing called, okay. The, the vet school needs to survive through three things. We're going to do a whole show. We're going to do multiple shows on this. But the tech vet school needs to survive through three things. One is a national accreditation agency. That's on the national end. On the state level, it's the state legislature as well as the Texas Higher Education Coordinating Board. Now... The Higher Education Coordinating Board has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine members. Nine members with the Higher Education Coordinating Board. And I've been told, look, <coughs> these folks, excuse me, these folks have been to Texas A&M games, uh, to the football games. They've been in the um, Board of Regents booths. They've been in the Chancellor's booths. And I cannot find any such thing, guys. I'm just going to tell you right now. 
I cannot find a time when at least <coughs> almost a quorum for these folks or more showed up. And I, I did some of that fact-checking before the show. Now, I can tell you that I believe his name's Raymond Paradis. Paradis. Raymond Paradis is the commissioner of the board, essentially the chairman of the board. He did show up to a Texas A&M game September 10, 2016, and then November 4, 2017. Uh, just two times, and both times he was in Chancellor John Sharp's booth there at Texas A&M. And that's the only time that I can find any of these folks involved with a Texas A&M game. And I don't know if that comes as a disappointment to you or not, but it's pretty clear. Oh, good. That's necessary that we play the Aggie War Hymn. Really is a good song. And, you know, something that grinds my gears about A&M is, well, we don't care about UT. Your whole school song is about sawing Bevo's ears or horns off. Give me a break. You do. I don't care about that. Yeah, you do. Okay, so back to where we were. Um, I cannot find that they're actively being lobbied, which is what they would be if they were in the Chancellor's Suite or the Board of Regents Suites at Texas A&M Games. I can tell you, however, based upon conversations I've had over the past couple of days, John Sharp has an unprecedented, he's the Chancellor of Texas A&M, unprecedented obsession. That's the line I think is good. Uh, with opposing the vet school. It's unprecedented for a Chancellor to go out on limbs that Sharp has gone on out on, um... There's the old Aggie rule of being a two percenter. Uh, just being with A&M two percent of the way, that's looked down upon. That's uh, ostracized there at Texas A&M. Uh, John Sharp has definitely been a 98 percenter whenever it comes to a vet school and gone on limbs where he's not gone before. He will be in Canyon, I believe, next week to dedicate all the new buildings a hundred what um a whole lot of money worth of buildings that are being used for from the puff fund uh there in canyon plan on writing about that soon give you more specifics but other than the mcdonald observatory you can't find a better a bigger expenditure by texas a&m and with regard to the Texas Higher Education Coordinating Board, I'm told that one person is being looked at to replace Rick Francis of Bob Duncan fame, the former chairman of the Texas Tech Board of Regents. And that's, and excuse me if I get the first name wrong now, but I believe it's Arcilla Acosta. Acosta, not of D.C. fame, but of Texas fame. She was a graduate of Texas A&M and a recipient of the Board of Directors Certification from Southern Methodist University Southwest School of Banking. She is on the Texas Higher Education Coordinating Board. This is who I'm told is being looked at as replacing Rick Francis, which if you're in Texas Tech, that's losing six one way, half dozen the other because you got one firm vote you would suspect on the Higher Education Coordinating Board for the vet school, but you're going to take that one vote and put her up as a regent instead. I don't know how big a win that is at the end of the day. Uh, John Sharp is actively telling people, I'm told, that if the Texas Higher Education Coordinating Board approves the vet school, then he's all in, which says that he believes that he's got the Higher Education Coordinating Board tied down, which I can't tell by again. That's why I went through, because these boxes, guys, just hear me. These suites 
the Chancellor Suite, the Board of Regents Suites, what these turn into in football games, if you've never been to one, are big side conversations and they become big lobbying events. And Paredes has said before, and I don't think this is anything that A&M can hang its cap on before on, but rural Texas is dying, and so uh, people don't want to live there. So why should we provide services there? Um, that was not taken well. He backed off of that statement later, but he said what he had to say, and. John Sharp is actively telling folks that this is kind of like uh, Arizona when a school tried to put up a vet school but couldn't provide uh, sufficient animals to be serviced uh, that this is how Texas Tech thing is going to go with the national accreditation um, uh, well Chancellor Livestock is $15 billion a year in the panhandle. I think you're going to have our time making that point there. Hey, uh, tomorrow, coming up on the program, we're going to have a conversation about Southern politics. Uh, Texas Tech professor Seth McKee is going to come in studio. Is Texas South or is it Southwest? Uh, he's going to talk about the history of Southern politics. I think it's going to be engaging for you. I especially want to get into this question. I hear this a lot, that the Democrats are the party of Jim Crow, but have things changed? Have maybe some of those folks moved over to the Republican Party in the 60s, 70s, and 80s? I don't I don't know if that's fair or not. I'm definitely not looking to advocate. I just look at things independently on the show, and those are some questions we're going to get into. It should be a great conversation coming up with professor mckee tomorrow texas tech university until then gonna get home gotta get home great family above average dinner waiting for me there until next time rave on buddies rave on we'll see you next edition other side of texas it's who we want to be